Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by none other than our resident reader Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them Know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 49, and we're recording on March 21st. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here as usual with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are talking about international SFF. Hooray. So yeah, basically anything outside of the U.S. is how yeah. I took it. <laughs> and it's perfect because you just got back from Europe. I did indeed. And I actually read one of my books, which was not set in Europe, in Europe while I was there. I was in Italy. Um, it would have made a lot of sense now that you mentioned it for me to pick up a book set in Italy. <laughs> but now I can't even think of a single I- yeah. Sounds- well, there's a lot of fantasy set in like Venice, I guess, but I don't know that it's actually yeah. written by Italians. Like, I think it's all written by, you know, Americans who dream of Italy in the past or whatever. I think you're right. If anybody knows of any Italian science fiction or yeah. fans fresh off my trip, please let me know because mm-hmm. I can't think of a single thing and it sounds like maybe there is none, <laughs> which is strange. Yeah, there's got to be some. I wonder how much of it has been translated into English. Mm -hmm. That is the question. Question marks. All right. Do you want to tell us about our first sponsor? I would love to. Our first sponsor for this episode is A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin, published by Tor Books. And this is an intergalactic empire story, which I'm always excited about. Uh, it is about Ambassador Mahit Desmer, who arrives in the center of the multi-system Tehixkalanli empire, only to discover that her predecessor, the previous ambassador from their small but fierce independent mining station has died. But nobody will admit that his death wasn't an accident or that Mahit might be the next to die during a time of political instability in the highest echelons of the imperial court. So now Mahit must discover who is behind the murder and rescue herself and save her station from the empire's unceasing expansion, all while navigating an alien culture and hiding a deadly technological secret. This one is on my TBR. I heard about it before it came out. They were comparing it to Anne Leckie's and John Scalzi, and I'm always very interested in that. And it is now finally available wherever books are sold. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I hope to soon. It's also the first book in a duology, and the sequ- sequel is planned for 2020, so we won't have too long to wait. 
And it has received a lot of great praise. It's got blurbs from Anne Leckie and Charlie Jane Anders and Joe Walton, all of whom I think we've talked about on this show before. Mm-hmm. So if this sounds like your jam, which I bet it does, check it out. Again, it's A Memory Called Empire by RKD Martin. And it is, again, published by Tor Books. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. That does sound exciting. Doesn't it? It does. Um Okay, so we're going to talk about news now, and I have to talk about the story, and I swear when I came across the headline, I thought it was a joke. 100% <laughs> thought it was a joke. And the headline is, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter announce Bill and Ted 3 release date. Tubular! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could not you had to say that I had to I had to I think that was that was perfect (laughs) I mean if it was if it was early April I would think this was an April Fool's joke absolutely right I'm glad I'm not the only one because I was like how are they gonna do this (laughs) and why also why deeply why but according to this article there has been like fan outcry for this to happen and that's always funny to me because especially with things from my childhood um oftentimes I am kind of buzzkill and like oh my goodness (laughs) please don't remake that like there are so many like tacky elements there are so many things that just don't pass the test of time but I mean I do I love Bill and Ted when I was younger even the terrible sequel um, I watched it so many times and I think I have mentioned my unpopular opinion about Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Wait, say it again. Was. I'm not, I'm not sure I remember. I'm not his biggest fan. <laughs> I'm not a Keanu Reeves fan, <laughs> but this is the one exception. Bill and Ted was the one exception in my history where I was like, yes, Keanu Reeves, this person is the bomb. So I'm I'm usually really excited about Bill and Ted stuff. And I think recently, like, it was re-released on, or it was released on Hulu. And so, of course, I had to go watch it again because it was streaming. And I hadn't seen it in a while. And, you know, it's campy. It's fun. If you were from a certain time, you probably absolutely came across it. And it's about, you know, two time traveling. It's a good word for them. <laughs> Surfers? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes like party boy party, party misfit, animals misfit yes, party misfit. boys <laughs> that's yes misfit but let's call them misfit party boys uh <laughs> and it's just like really lulzy but you know keanu reeves and uh, by the way i never really knew um alex winter's name but keanu reeves and alex winter they're older now And I'm really curious about how they're (laughs) going to do this. That's a very kind way to put that. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. I haven't seen Alex Winter since Bill and Ted. And it's, you know, it's interesting. Time passes. Um, And according to this, uh, like the vague stirrings about what this is actually going to be about, they're going to be, you know, this is going to be them addressing the fact that they never made the music to save the world I really had a very vague concept of the plot in general when I was a kid. Uh, But now they're going back in time and visiting with their younger selves. And I'm like, oh, well, does that mean their younger selves are going to be played by other actors? Like, how are they going to do that? 
Or is it going to be all like CGI splicing in? Oh, no. I mean, it could be. It could, it be. could be. Look what they did it with Star be. Wars and Leia and General Tarkin. Like, I know. That's the first Which thing I, I didn't love, P.S. I didn't love that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, have, I, have, I, have, I am a great big why on this one. Like, I don't understand <laughs> who greenlit this, why they're ex- – <laughs> like, I just – I'm just like, really? Um which is not to say that it couldn't be awesome. Like I believe that there's potential because I Keanu Reeves has been doing some interesting projects lately. I mean, I'm a John Wick fan, so I, I quite enjoy watching Keanu Reeves do action movies because I do think he's a great physical actor. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I maintain that, um, Oh God, what is it called? He played Constantine. It's called Constantine. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I okay, loved yeah. Constantine. I yeah, loved I that agree. movie. So he, like, I do, I am a fan. Um, but this is just, I just, yeah, I just don't know. Like the humor is so particular to that time frame that it came out in and how will it, mm-hmm. how will it, how will it age, you know, in all senses of the word is a big question for me. So I get, I'm, I am the emoji shruggy man on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. We won't see it. It's, uh, by the way, called Face the Music, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it's supposed to come out in August of 2020. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be, the trailer is going to be an interesting thing to come across when it comes yeah, out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What should we talk about next? Um, Let's talk about another remake. Taika Waititi is making a Time Bandits TV series. Have you seen the original Terry Gilliam Time Bandits? I was obsessed with Time Bandits. (laughs) So weird. I love Terry Gilliam's old stuff anyway in general so i was very excited about this too yeah i i wasn't excited about it quite frankly until taika was attached to it because that man is a genius and i loved thor ragnarok just so much uh and yeah i and i also am happy because it's not an amazon series it's an apple series so there's that it has that going for it and uh so yeah so he is going to be uh co-writing and directing the pilot of this uh tv series based on the original time bandits as well as being an executive producer which i think is good news uh because he has proven that he's good at things and i i think the premise is certainly one that's very remakeable um it's about an 11 year old boy who meets a pack of time traveling dwarf treasure hunters and has adventures and like of course because it's terry gilliam the original the movie ending is very dark um oh my goodness. I mean, the whole thing is dark <laughs> it is uh and i would just, i would have objected to like an upbeat family-friendly remake which you know apparently was a possibility but i think that you know taika's version of dark is more interesting to me uh uh, especially at this point in time than Terry Gilliams. So I'm really curious to see what this looks like. I will also, I also feel like now I need to rewatch time bandits because it's been mm-hmm. a long time since I saw it. Yeah. I think I haven't watched it in at least a decade, but I know there was a time when I rediscovered it. I can't remember why and watched it all over again. And 
It was definitely a, a Gilliam-flavored movie, um, which I do love. And I think Taika it has the quirkiness mm-hmm. and, like, the whimsy and the sensibility to work with Gilliam because Gilliam is also going to be um, on this production. So he's going to be involved. So, I, yeah, I, I also think that this is a great match. Mm-hmm. And... I too would not have been pleased with a family friendly version. I don't think that would have worked quite no, honestly. No. Like it would have had to be a completely different story. So um we'll see about casting. Yeah. And... That's my that is my big question mark is casting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But I'm excited. I love that movie so much. Um okay. Well, since this is shaping up to be nostalgia episode, uh <laughs> I want to talk about the Stranger Things 3 full trailer that just recently came out um, because there was a lot of like, you know, they they always give us these like really brief teasers that are frustrating to me. So I've been waiting for the full trailer for Stranger Things the next season to come out and it finally did. And it's actually like, uh, there are a lot of times, speaking of nostalgia, where I feel like, especially now that it's become very trendy to do nostalgic movies and series and whatever where I feel like eh, I didn't do it quite right but this one like just the trailer alone made me it gave me those feels so I've been excited about the next season of Stranger Things along with a lot of other people for a really long time so this is really good and there's more you get to see more of the monsters in this trailer. So I'm sure there's going to be more of them in the season itself, but you also see, and one of my favorite things about the series is the dynamics between these friends. And it seems like you're going to see a lot more of that as well. And you're going to see a lot more of 11 getting used to this, you know, the outside world and being friends with people and doing things, you know, a high school girl would do. So I'm really excited about it. I think it comes out, uh, yeah, it premieres July 4th, which makes a lot of sense if you see the trailer, which you absolutely should. It's very 4th of July themed. Uh, But yeah, I'm really excited. They've got like the whole iconic aesthetic going on. It feels very Paper Girls almost for some Mm. reason. Uh, Yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This is just me. Muppet arming about <laughs> welcome, welcome to Muppet Arms. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, are you, have you watched it? I, I'm so I'm so behind, Sharifa. I have. I am not trying to call you. No, out. <laughs> I know it's okay. I've seen. I want to say the first three episodes of season one, and it wasn't that I didn't want to keep watching. It's just that my ability to watch narrative TV has just fallen into the toilet over the last couple of years like it seems like i'm just on a never-ending cycle of gentle reality television because that's all that my brain wants in between reading books so i did manage to watch season one of deadwood all the way through this year but like that is the only narrative tv i have accomplished otherwise it's you know so you think you can dance queer eye the great british bake-off like love your garden just on repeat forever (laughs) (laughs) i approve of all of these things 
things. Not there is nothing things, wrong with that. Except, except that there is so much good narrative, especially sci-fi fantasy TV out there that I really would love to watch. I just, I just haven't found the space for it. So one day, one day I will finish oh, watching yeah. season one and I'm sure I will enjoy it. I really enjoyed what I did see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle for me at this, especially now that World of Dance is back on for the record. It is yes. So fantastic. <laughs> so good. Oh my goodness. I have to stop myself from talking about it a I lot. I was because just going to say show. that's a different podcast. Maybe we, yes. maybe this is our personal <laughs> podcast project is the dance show podcast. I would be there uh, in a heartbeat. Dangerous <laughs> idea. Dangerous idea. Okay. But before we move on to the second mm-hmm. half of the show, I do want to update everybody that we now have details from the Harry Potter uh, augmented yeah. reality game from the Pokemon Go studio. So they have finally unveiled a trailer for uh, this and some, or yeah, there's a trailer or there's like a little video and uh, there are details finally. So the way it's going to work is that the apparently a calamity has befallen the wizarding world and so now artifacts and creatures and people and memories are mysteriously appearing in the muggle world so your job is to go around and find them and return them to their rightful place where the muggles can't see them and investigate the calamity so this makes perfect sense to me as a setup you're just like when you read it you're like of course that makes (laughs) that works that works perfectly i mean i was very curious i actually if I would have thought they might have done a closer tie-in to, you know, the Newt Scamander movies and make it mm. more creature focused. But I think it's interesting that they're doing more than just creatures. I mean, there are creatures. There are just other things too, objects and people and memories and whatnot. So that's probably smart, though. It'll give them more legs over the long run. And yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see how people react to it what the play is like i definitely will give it a try when it's available it is available for pre-order now on google play but not yet in apple and uh i definitely want to try it i will try not to walk into any more holes or fire hydrants make no promises i make no promises maybe i'll get like a special helmet um (laughs) because i am a danger to myself and others when i try to walk and phone at the same time but yeah i think it'll be interesting and uh i don't know what do you feel like are you excited? I really like that there's a mystery element to it, which I didn't expect, mm. like that you're kind of solving a mystery, uh, which is cool. I mean, I have not played Pokemon Go, so I have 0% experience with these games, even though I see them all the time on Instagram, like people with their little Pokemons. And I feel like, am I going to be that person? <laughs> you Probably, might. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Just expect it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try it out too. Obviously that last Harry Potter game, whose name I can't even remember oh, anymore yeah. because I dropped it so fast. So fast. I did not <laughs> did love not- that one. No, no, that wasn't good. But this one, I feel like they've already had, Uh, proven success with this sort of format Mm -hmm. so i feel like they might come at this with some experience and some ability to make this really fun and interactive so i don't know maybe we'll all order sff yeah helmets so that we can walk (laughs) around trying this game why not promote the show (laughs) while we run into things it seems like a genius idea this is our brand this is our our brand you're not wrong it is our brand (laughs) 
boy. Well, if anybody, if anybody else out there tries it too, we definitely want to hear about your experiences mm-hmm. because it has to be at least humorous, if not enlightening about this Harry Potter AR phenomenon. Okay. Uh, before we get started talking about our international SFF picks, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is Enchante by Gita Trelise. So after her parents die, Camille must find a way to provide for her sister by transforming scraps of metal into money. But soon she begins to pursue a more dangerous mark, the court of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Camille transforms herself into a baroness and is swept up into life at Versailles. She meets a handsome young inventor and begins to believe that love and liberty may both be possible. But magic has costs, and when revolution erupts, Camille must choose before Paris burns. So Enchante is a YA fantasy debut, and Stephanie Garber, uh, author of Caravelle, calls the book deliciously addictive. It's about a young girl using magic so she and her sister can survive. So if you like sister stories, this could be right up your alley. Um, And she travels, of course, to the courts of Versailles and Marie Antoinette. And it takes place on the eve of the French Revolution. It's on sale now. So if that sounds like your sort of thing, you can pick up Enchante by Gita Trillis. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay. International sci-fi fantasy. I have one translated book and one... I have, well, some of them might be translated, actually, but one sort of sci-fi in English book. Uh, mm-hmm. I think mostly originally in English, but question mark there. Um, so I'm going to talk about my speculative pick first. It is not 100% fantasy. It's also not 100% science fiction. It's sort of a genre buster. It is Tentacle by Rita Indiana and translated by Achi Obejas. And this is the book, Sharifa, that I found when we did our bookstore tour in L.A., I know. I remember the book cover because it was so striking. The book cover is so striking. I 100% picked it up because it was on a display of translated books and it has this gorgeous, stunning, bright cover. And it just was a bonus that I picked it up and it's like a future sort of speculative story. So, and I told Sharifa that I would send it I it said I would send it to you if it was really good. I have to send it to you because it's really, Yay! really good. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much to Skylight Books for having it on a display. And this is... I, it, Amanda has also read it and we were talking about it. And she was like, it's like if China Medieval wrote queer disaster fic. And I was like, yeah, that's not wrong, actually. That's, that's pretty <laughs> accurate. Um, it does come with trigger warnings for rape, transphobia, and racial slurs. There's some really real stuff that happens in this book. So you might want to skip it if those are things that are going to be triggering for you. But it's really worth the read. And it's very short. It's like a hundred and it's 200 pages long. I read the whole thing in a couple hours on my flight home, which was perfect. Um, And it takes place in Santo Domingo where it's a sort of it feels like it could be tomorrow or yesterday. But there are these uh, very strict political, um, excuse me, class distinctions. And so, for example, there are these like robots that, you know, quote unquote, sweep the streets of refugees and the poor and life is very very hard if you don't have money and if you have money it's very very good hmm wonder what that sounds like and Mm -hmm. 
the main character, Asilda, is a prostitute uh, working the streets and like whose entire goal is to save up enough money for this drug called Rainbow Bright, which is a gender affirming drug. Like you can take it and then be the gender that you are meant to be. Um, and so this is all Asilda wants. And as part of like a trick, she picks up this John um, and is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it is like has this interaction with him where he's like, I will get you a job as a housekeeper for this older woman. You know, she's a Santerra. She's kind of wacky, but like she'll be good to you. And then you can make more money to save up for your, you know, for this drug. And so, you know, Isilda takes it and goes to work as a maid in this house. And the Santerra has this sort of sacred anemone in a special container. And the thing that's sort of the driving force behind this book is ecology. So the, the, the reefs have been destroyed by a nuclear accident. Um, the sea life is just, you know, basically wiped out and things are in really, really bad ecological shape. And so for, uh, for this woman to have this, you know, anemone, it's worth, it's priceless. It's worth so much money. So Silda is like, Oh, I could sell it on the black market and get the drug that much faster. And then terrible things ensue, hijinks slash badness ensues. Mm -hmm. um, but the John who originally got Asilda the job shows up with the drug. So Asilda gets to be, you know, the person that he was always meant to be. And then the book starts to switch timelines and narrators. So now suddenly you have this really jerky artist who's just sort of chance after chance has squandered um, through various limitations of his own, but he's got this one last shot at this artist colony run by two rich people who are obsessed with saving the environment. And that's in a separate timeline. And then you also get this sort of like buccaneer pirates era look at the same location. It's just unstuck in time. And Asilda has become unstuck in time. And so has this artist and their paths are sort of spiraling around each other. And it takes a while for all the puzzle pieces to come together. I was just like, how is this, how is this going to fit together? Uh, and when it does all click together, it was like, mind blown. What? <laughs> um, and there's just, I mean, it's just so innovative and interesting. And it, the story really is sort of a spiraling, like if you imagine cloud Atlas, but on more drugs, like that's kind oh, wow. of what, yeah, that's kind of what tentacle feels like. Uh, and it is, it's just a really big, fascinating, book in a very small package that it's about art and it's about faith and it's about um you know technology and the environment and queer politics and colonialism and just ever i mean it's about everything what isn't this book about uh and it does i there's a in the blurb there's like it says you know bursting with punk energy and that's not wrong like you know you hear a lot about like cyberpunk or solar punk or elf punk or whatever and like this book i don't know what kind of punk it is but it is punk <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very punk and uh i think that yeah i think that a lot of you would really enjoy it i just can't stop thinking about it it's such a good book um and it's just not like a lot of other things that i've read it's really fantastic so again that's tentacle by rita indiana translated by achi obejas
I cannot wait to get this book now. Yeah. I love all things punk. I'm, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my first pick is also not necessarily straightforward fantasy. It's a book that was first published in Ukraine and then published in English late last year. It's been on my list for a long time. And it's Vida Nostra by Marina and Sergei Diachenko. And it's translated, this is one in translation to, uh, by Julia Maitoff Hersey. And the Dichenkos are a husband and wife team who, according to the great Wikipedia, (laughs) (laughs) they describe their work as M-realism. And in that article, it says they don't explain what M-realism is. So, of course, I had to go Google the term. And I got like the first result was meta-realism, which I learned is a form of Russian poetry and art that embraces metaphysical realism. Yeah, it sounds very smart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it makes sense for this book. So whatever you want to call the genre, for me, this book definitely existed in the realm of the uncanny, especially when you start the story. You're not sure if you're dealing with magical realism and philosophy or if it's just mind games. It's very strange. So the book is told in first person by the main character who's Alexandra or Sasha Samakina. And Sasha and her mother are on on their own. Her mother's single and Sasha's a total loner. Um, And when they go on holiday, Sasha meets this strange man who compels her to attend this really obscure university in a remote provincial town. And then once she's there, everything Sasha's ever known about herself and the world starts to unravel in this really painstaking, terrible, and really effortful way. And always she lives with this pressure of knowing that one error in her studies could mean tragedy at home. And a lot of the book and the way it's told relies on the reader being just as confused and curious and frustrated as Sasha herself. So I really can't give much more than that away. Because I was literally WTFing the whole way through this book, uh, especially in regards to what Sasha's put through in the name of education. And I've seen this book uh, comped with The Magicians and even, you know, of course, the ubiquitous Harry Potter. And I myself thought that this was shaping up to be like The Magicians because it could kind of fall into the zone of new adults. You're dealing with teens who are heading into university and starting university and it does read grown up tonally and because it involves going into a school for young people with special abilities i can see how those comparisons are being made but i can't quite call this place a school of magic it's really not uh so while i think it can be useful to say that if you like the magicians or if you like me wanted something out of the magicians you didn't quite get you should pick up this book uh and now that i've read it i wouldn't tell you to necessarily expect the magicians definitely not harry potter (laughs) when you pick this up (laughs) in no way uh this is definitely not break bills it is in hogwarts it's like a hogwarts school of philosophy and mind foxery um (laughs) it's completely it's completely out there and then uh, we were actually just talking about this on the staff slack recently and i was thinking about how there were a few of us who read that book sophie's world for fun in high school Mm -hmm. and when we were talking about that i was like man if you were that kid 
you should definitely, if you picked up Sophie's World for fun in high school, you should absolutely pick up Vita Nostra like immediately. Well, shoot, you're like calling me out here. Sure. I know. <laughs> I did not say you were one of those no, people. I'm calling but... myself out. <laughs> but you should pick up this book um, because it really has some of that, like it's very, it, it challenges your mind. Um, the book is basically about challenging the mind. So you should definitely expect something completely different, something that'll make your brain hurt in the best of ways, um, while also compelling you to turn the page because you have to know what is happening. Like, there are so many questions in the beginning, you just have to find out what happens at the end. And I was literally like, I listened to the audiobook. I was up in bed listening to it because I couldn't shut it out, uh, shut it off. Uh, I wanted to know what happened. And Sasha is definitely one of my new favorite characters. She's very somber. She's a serious loner. Um, and that straight A sort of student who can't seem to force her toe off the line. Uh, but she's caught in this situation where she has to do exactly that. So she's this puzzle nobody can figure out. And definitely the introvert's introvert. And this is a big, healthy serving of a book that lets you get really lost in the story. Again, you know, I listened to the audiobook and the audiobook is 18 hours and 21 minutes. So it's it's pretty big. And I really love the audiobook by the way, if you want to go that route. And yeah, it was just so interesting. Such a fascinating read and I'm glad I finally picked it up. Again, that was Vida Nostra by Marina and Sergei Dyachenko and it was translated by Julia Matoff Hersey. Is that your first Russian speculative fiction? It was uh, Roadside Picnic. Oh, yes. It's the first. This is my, I think this is only my second. Yeah, I really love Russian speculative fiction, but it's also super bonkers always. You're just like, what? Yeah, I'm noticing. What <laughs> is going on? Uh, it's very intense. <laughs> the Daywatch series, I almost picked that by Sergei Lukyanenko to talk about just because it's another one of my favorites. But yeah, Andrei Strugatsky, oh, so good. Roadside Picnic. So good. Love it, love it. And Victor Pelevin too. I'm okay. This is, we'll do a separate. I'll do a separate thing. <laughs> just Russian, as just well. Russian sci-fi fantasy. Uh, there's a lot of good of it out there. Okay, let's see. So my collection for sci-fi is Future Fiction, edited by Bill Campbell, and this is from a small pl- press, Rosarium Publishing. And this is a really fascinating collection that is specifically bringing together international science fiction and fantasy. Well, mostly science fiction. Um, That is like, in fact, the subtitle of this collection, New Dimensions and International Science Fiction. And so there are just a ton of different writers and different uh, regions represented in this. It's really cool. I love this collection. There's 13 stories from all around the globe. And so many of them were so interesting and good. Um, there, it does come with trigger warnings, and I'm going to leave them in the show notes because they're sort of by story, so there's a bunch of them, and you'll forget immediately what I've said. But they're in the show mm-hmm. notes, so check it out. If you have triggers, um, there might be in there. And I just, I was like hard pressed prepping this to think about which of the story, you can't talk about all the stories in a collection, right? Like I have five minutes, like what am I going to tell you about this collection? (laughs) Um, But it was so 
interesting because they really thoughtfully arranged the flow of these stories. So, for example, the very first one is called Tang Tang Summer by Xia Jia. And it's like a really sort of sweet, almost gentle look at artificial intelligence and healthcare. It's told from a child's perspective uh, about her grandfather who, you know, gets a robot aid and how this shapes their interactions. And it's it's really, it does, it sort of has that childlike feel of whimsy and wonder running through it, but also really interesting ideas about, yeah, what would that be like and how would it work and how would it not work? And then the next few stories are also sort of all about family, but they edge sort of darker. Like there's one called The Quantum Mommy that really creeped <laughs> me out uh, and gave me all of the feelings and involves like a space station and a quantum machine. And you can sort of guess what might happen there. And then, you know, things continue to sort of get dark because of course they do. There's a story called Host Bods by Tendai Huchu, which is about what if you like, what if you could transfer consciousness from one body to another, but, and people hired themselves out to do this. So for example, um, the bod quote unquote for hire goes from one virtual possession to the next, and he is aware, but also not really in control. And so you see him sort of being used by these different people for their own occasionally nefarious purposes. And then there's one uh, that is like, it was so weird, y'all. It's called the International <laughs> Stud Book of the Giant Panda. And it literally involves scientists using neurally linked robot pandas to teach the bears how to mate because like pandas have, you know, forgotten how to have sex. And so you're going to use a robot bear that you are linked with neurally to teach a panda how to have sex. Like, it's as weird as you think it is based on what I'm describing to you. And then you have the more sort of political, like dystopia, utopia ones, like the one that it ends with F.A. Takunbo's Proposition 23, which just like knocked my socks off. It's really, really good um, and thinks about all these fascinating questions about, you know, ways that you could connect people with technology and ways that that would be bad. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just really, they were really thoughtful in how they selected and laid out this, this story collection. And some of them are really dark. Like I said, it does come, there are trigger warnings that come along with this book. Um, but it's, I, I just found it so interesting to get so many different perspectives on our interaction with our world and our environment and our technology and, and that's what, you know, like when you think about why it's important to read internationally, that's exactly why. There are so many amazing ideas and perspectives out there. And if you're only reading from one country, you're not getting most of them. And American culture is so dominant that it's hard to get outside of it, but it's so worth it. And I think that if you're sort of stumped as to where to start and you're not sure that you want, like, 
bonkers Russian sci-fi or Dominican disaster fic. Like you're not sure what it is that you're looking for. I think a collection like this and specifically this collection is a really great place to start because you'll find some authors, you'll find some, you know, threads that you can then follow to other places. And so, yeah, I highly recommend it. Again, that's Future Fiction edited by Bill Campbell. And related to that, I just wanted to give a shout out to a thing we did. We did a Worlds of Fantasy Day on Book Riot um, back in January. And I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes. And there are a lot of great posts organized around like werewolves around the world or, you know, things of that nature. So you can find some starting places for that as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, Okay. Uh, My science fiction pick, in the spirit of reading books about people and places outside of our own experiences, I chose a First Nations story set in Canada. And that is Moon of the Crested Snow by Wapishi Rice. Love that book. I know. Thanks to you for sending it along my way and bringing it to my attention. Um, And it's funny, I wouldn't normally think Canada when I think international books, maybe because all of North America feels too close to be (laughs) far flung. Uh, But after reading the story, it kind of felt like a natural choice for this theme. And the book is set within an Anishinaabe community in the wintry northern climes of Canada, which, as I learned, is very unlike anything I've experienced. Um, And Evan, the main character, his family, his friends, everyone else in this community is put through a really terrible trial when one day the electricity is shut off without warning. Um, And because the Anishinaabe community is in a really remote area, word about what and why this is happening is slow in coming. And as you might imagine, with lack of communication comes widespread panic, which in turn leads to, you know, violence and death and horrible things. Uh, This was an absolutely harrowing read. It's also a really short read with a lot to unpack. And in the midst of this uh, apocalyptic event, there's an examination of, for instance, disconnects from the old ways of living and surviving. Uh, It talks about like systemic racism and violence against First Nation people that cause generational trauma, then there's community dynamics, and particularly the dynamics of a community that really thrives on connectedness and support systems. So everything is put to the test by this terrible event. And I wanted so much for everybody to make it through. (laughs) This was the book, by the way, I chose to read on vacation. (laughs) Uh, while I was in Italy. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, this is so bleak. Let me stand out in the sun for a moment. Um, <laughs> Time for some more pasta. <laughs> I know. It was exactly that. It was really, it was a heart-wrenching read uh, because you become really close to this community and you see how they've been wronged and you want things to get better for them rather than worse. But in a lot of ways, it's because they're di- they were displaced, because their culture was ripped from them, and because prejudice remains that the story reaches this frightening crescendo. Um, and it does elsewhere, too. Uh, but I couldn't put this book down. I was in really unfamiliar territory in so many ways, which is why I thought of this book for this theme. But Rice's writing provided this really sharp, clear window into this community and this place. And I felt like I was right there with them, uh, which was why the horror of it was so effective. And it was also moody and atmospheric. And the language was really spare, but really powerful, which is some of my favorite writing, especially with science fiction. 
Um, I'm just glad I read it knowing spring was on the way. <laughs> and <laughs> I absolutely gave my own survival skills much thought after reading this book. And I can tell you that my projections are very bleak. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would absolutely recommend this book. Uh, again, that was Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wapishi Rice. I just want to give a quick shout out that Rice did a recommended episode with us. Yes. And we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. He was so fun to talk to and said such interesting, smart things. It's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that concludes our picks for international science fiction and fantasy. Thank you again for listening. And as usual, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And we love to hear your thoughts on the show. Uh, you can always find us online as well. I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? I am on Twitter mostly. It's Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.